I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Hey, Adam. Hey, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks. I definitely did not expect to be the only one in the room. Um, yeah, it's, um, uh, it usually takes about 10, 15 minutes for people to start joining. Oh, all right. Well, I guess my question is, uh, Romeo is like a concept right now, <laughs> more than an actual player. Um, I mean, what's the best Romeo can get us can give us this year? Um, he's coming back from injury. Uh, there's not going to be too many minutes for him. Uh, I mean, we're going to want to win some games because of the first half of the season has not gone too well. I mean, what's the best we can expect from Romeo this year, you think? Honestly, maybe a spark plug off the bench, somebody that can operate as a point of attack defender, maybe take on a slight ball handling duties. I wouldn't expect too much from him in terms of ball handling, but I'd like to see it. Um, it will give you a slashing presence, which I don't think the team really has at the moment. They've got some guys that can penetrate and kick back out, but nobody that really likes to attack the basket from the wings, right? Like We see Tatum and Brown doing it, but sometimes it feels like that's just because it's part of the game plan, right? They, it's not where they'd ideally be taking their shots from. So right. having someone like Romeo, whose um, shot profile is very, very much predicated on getting to the rim and finishing around the rim. And that's what he's done all through his collegiate career, all through his high school career. He can, he can score the midi and he can hit from deep, but he's very much a, a rim a finisher around the rim. So I think that you'd probably find you'll get extra penetration in that second unit with some points of attack defense. Ideally, I'd like to see him averaging between 10 to 15 minutes a night. Realistically, we're probably looking closer to between 7 and 10. Yeah, but where's he getting these minutes from? Is Shemi going to give up minutes when he comes back? I mean, that's the biggest question, right? Like, who who makes way for Romeo? I think that he gives you so much in terms of um, point of attack defense, help defense. He's got good length to him. And he he gives you something that the rest of the like the roster doesn't really have. So I wouldn't mind seeing Shemi give up those minutes. I also wouldn't mind just seeing a few guys lose one or two to make room for Romeo. Mm. Uh, obviously, as the rotations start to get trimmed down, I think Romeo could effectively be a casualty just because he hasn't been healthy all year. This is going to be like a ramp up for him during the regular season. But at the same time, this was a guy that was going to get playoff minutes last year before his injury. Right. Um, I, I would prefer him to get minutes over Shemi. I think we've seen what Shemi's about. We know that Shemi, when he's playing well, is very valuable, but his inconsistencies make him a liability. Um, mm. So I, I wouldn't mind if it was Shemi's minutes that um, got re- deducted because of that. Yeah, fair enough. I, I love Shemi, but like, yeah, as you said, he's a known quantity. And at this point, it's almost time to start seeing what else we have. Um, so, all right. Uh, thanks, Adam. Of course, man. Feel free to stick around. If you've got anything else you want to ask, um, just jump straight back up, man. Thank you very much. All right. I see we've got a few people in here now, which is always great. I appreciate it. How are you doing today, Lucas? Hey, how's it going, Adam? Hello? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How about yourself? Yeah, man. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've had some sunshine here today. It's not normal for uh, where I'm from, so I'm happy. Yeah. Gotta love that. Um, <laughs> so first, I'm just going to ask, what, how do you feel about the trade deadline? Um, and everything, because I am pretty pleased with it, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I had some questions. I still do. Um, I think my biggest question was acquiring a guy on an expiring deal with a very large amount of the TPE. Um, the front office and Danny Ainge specifically had spoke previously about wanting to get somebody with a little bit more time on that contract, you know, a two-year to three-year guy. Um, so bringing Fournier in where there's a float risk concerned me, but then you also have the option of maybe a sign and trade to create another TP for next year, which is always beneficial. So I'm good with that. I think that Fournier is going to bring some great on ball. Um, sorry, some, yeah, some great ball handling, some facilitation and he can score. He's a legit free level scorer, um, runs the pick and roll exceptionally well. So I'm really happy there. Um, I'd like to see more of Luke Cornett before I jump on the hype train. I know he hit two nice threes and played some decent defense, but it was a very short period of time. Like it was a minute sample size. So I'd like to see some more of him and Mo Wagner before I really make a decision. But all in all, I think they've done the best with the hand they were dealt. Um, some people are saying that Denver outbid Boston for Aaron Gordon. I think if you don't go after 
Evan Fournier to begin with, then maybe you land Gordon, but maybe you end up with neither of those guys. So I'm fine, and I feel like they were quite... um, What's the word I'm looking for? They were very aggressive in pursuing some form of signing, and I'm happy with that because we've seen a lot of lackadaisical um, trade deadlines in recent years. So that was a great change of pace for me. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, And I just think Denver just had a little bit more, was willing to put, you know, the first round on the table. And maybe they just liked uh, RJ Hampton a little more. Um, And Gary Harris has already proven. But, yeah, I think the trade for Fournier is great. Um, Oh, I was about to – I had another question. My mind just blanked on it. Um, But, oh, yeah, about Cornet. Like, yeah, it was good to see him, you know, hit the threes. But I totally am in agreement with you. Like, that was more just, like, funny than anything. I'm definitely going to need to see, you know, more actual minutes, like you're saying, out of him to, like, really believe in it. Um, But do you think that – so do you think this changes their playoff outlooks at all, I guess, is my second question? I wouldn't say changes there, right? Look, there's still some questions that they need to answer in terms of defensive consistency and aggressive consi- aggressiveness. Um, I still think the top of the East is really tough. Milwaukee improved by bringing in PJ Tucker. Um, Brooklyn have improved again by bringing in LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, I, I still believe that this is a second round exit team. I think that there's still another move they need to make, possibly two before we can put them back in that contention conversation. But this is definitely a way to appease some of the guys in the locker room, right? To say, look, we are committed to you. We are committed to winning. We've brought in a fourth guy that can handle the rock, that can score, that can play some good D. And we've brought in two project bigs that we can take a look at and make a decision on as we get closer to the offseason. So I don't think this move was made specifically to contend now, but more to show everybody within the organization that we are committed to contend in the next 18 months. Yeah, um, I totally I totally agree with what you just said because it honestly feels like uh, the energy of like the team was renewed kind of by like, you know, Danny showing them that he is committed. And lastly, um, since they, they have Fournier's bird rights, I think, um, so do you think they would consider, you know, going over the cap to bring him back if he plays well and looks good in the Celtic system? And that's pretty much my last question. So, Yeah, I mean, Brad, um, Danny Ainge did a press conference the day after the trade deadline. So when would that have been? Would that have been Friday? If I think it was Friday. And um, he basically said that they're hoping that Fournier is around a lot longer than three months, which means that they have every intention of extending a contract offer to him. Whether or not he gets a better offer elsewhere and decides to leave, whether we, I mean, at the moment, we haven't seen him play for this team. We haven't seen him in this system. There may be personality differences. He may not like the role he's been given. So there's a lot of um, questions that still need to be answered and we need to see how that plays out. But I think that if there was an interest from Fournier to remain with the team, then they'd definitely try and work out a deal. The only problem, the only concern I have, not problem, concerns, best way of wording it, is whether or not they try and lowball him. We've seen them lose a few guys recently by coming in a little bit lower than what they, the players would have expected. Um, they like to use the incentives like they did with Jalen Brown. But I think that they know now that if you want to be able to keep a guy like Fournier around, then you're going to be looking at the 18 to 22 million a year type of range. But that then brings up questions about Smart. Yeah, that hurts to hear the 18 to 22 mil, but you're right. That probably is the realistic market. But, uh, I'm going to hop off. Thanks, Adam. But, you know, if I have any other questions, maybe I'll hop hop back up later. Of course, man. I appreciate it, Lucas. Thank you very much, buddy. Of course. Who's up next? I just send that request. Um, Anyone that's not been in here before, if no one's in there, sends the request. I'll just sit here quiet until somebody does. So it's in all our benefit, basically. How you doing, Joseph? Hey, how are we? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing well, you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I was going to say... do you think we'll see Rob as the starter now, or when TT comes back, do you think he'll take over uh, as the starting center, or will it be matchup dependent? I mean, that's a great question, right? Um, that's the million-dollar question at the moment for what's going on with these rotations. I think Rob Williams deserves some time as a starter. I don't really buy into this whole, this guy needs to be a starter. I think that players are more concerned with who close out games rather than who start them. Um, but I do think that giving Rob minutes now, with this starting lineup, allows him to 
integrate himself into getting a good rhythm alongside these guys. Like he spends minutes with Tatum, he spends minutes with Brown, probably Kemba too, but probably not all at the same time. You know, when you're on that second unit, the starters are staggered just to provide uh, scoring punches. So by giving him chance to run with everybody, you're going to start forcing him to impact games in a way other than just being a love threat. And you'll force him to improve his game all around game. That's why we see him operating at the top of the perimeter, um, facilitating for guys. We'll see him going into screens and then re-screening for somebody else. And I'd like to see that. If it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be permanent for me to be happy, but I'd like a long run just so we can see how he integrates with that, those guys. And then uh, if you want to move Tristan Thompson back into that starting lineup and make a decision on who gets the nod once the playoffs come around, I think that's completely fair to give both guys a fair crack of the whip. Uh, but I do think that Rob Williams is, in the long term, if he can stay healthy, is the starting big on this team. I'm just not sure whether that comes this year. So with your answer being what it was, um, I understand your point of view. Do you think the Celtics will keep him at starter in the short term, or do you think they'll go with, with TT, um, just in terms of what you think will happen, not what should? Okay, so um, I think that they'll keep him as a starter for probably a week or two um, once TT mm-hmm. returns. And then I think that Tristan Thompson will take that starting spot back. All right. That's, That's all prob- I've got for now. I'll, I'll <laughs> okay. If, uh, if I have something, thank you. Yeah, no worries, man. I went around the bush on that one, so I apologize. Yeah, no problem. And we wait for the speaker request. We've got Margot, Kai, William, Rob, Lucas, Marcus, John Paul, Josh, Alejandro, Cole. I think that's Trey and Joseph. How are you doing today, John Paul? Hi. Uh, wait, how do you do this? I mean, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I'm I'm relatively new here. So how do you feel about, like, you know, like you already said this during the chat, but how do you feel about the whole almost got got a certain insert name here kind of guys? Are you talking about, like, social media with the memes and stuff? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. I like the humor. Sometimes it'll trigger me and I'll be silly and respond and people can bait me. But generally, like, you see Celtics fans do this to other fan bases too. It's part of the fun of sports. Um, and it adds fun. It adds fun to a narrative that can be quite frustrating otherwise. So um, I'm not one to be upset about it. I kind of look at the, the brighter side of things and just think that there's other teams out there that are far worse in terms of making decisions than what the Celtics are. The Celtics are one of the better-run franchises. So missing out on a few guys and seeing a few memes here and there across social media, that, that's just a reason to smile. Because if you, if you take life too seriously, this is sports at the end of the day. Um, we're all super privileged to be able to watch it. So it's fun, and I, I, don't, I don't really read too deep into it. What's the funniest one that you have seen? Sorry, what was that? Oh, what was the funniest one that you have seen in this era? Oh man, there's thousands. There's thousands. Um, it was probably I don't know which one it would be, but it was definitely one of the KD ones during that KD um, recruitment era. There was definitely some out there then where you'd have like Kelly Olynyk with um, <laughs> with Tom Brady and a bunch of random guys walking up the street trying to uh, trying to entice Kevin Durant into the franchise. Uh, some of those were quite funny. Some of the taglines people put on them were quite amusing. Last question. Let's do some a little bit serious. Uh, how do you? Uh, who is going to? Uh, is Marcus Smart going to be starting with Evan Fournier back? You mean long term, right? Not today yeah, because yeah. of Jalen Brown being long. injured. When, uh, well, being I, uh, when everything's healthy. So. When they first acquired Fournier, when I first saw that news, um, I actually instantly assumed that Fournier would be a bench guy, uh, but Fournier's ability to run an offense, act as a fourth guy, a tri-sherry playmaker, and he can just do so much. He's a legit 20 points per night scorer. Um, Marcus Smart has always excelled in that six-man role. That's usually where he plays some of his best basketball. So I'd expect Marcus Smart to be the guy to step back into that six-man role, and he might start if there's a team like Portland, for example, that have two elite guards that you really need a defensive presence for. Then I could see Marcus Smart taking the starting gig for that type of game. But generally, I think he will take that step back into the six-man. That's all. Still there? I'm still here. Sorry. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, thanks for the reply. Of course, man. How you doing, Will? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. So do you think this offseason that they try to move off of Kemba 
and try to find some way to get off of his contract and do something different. I mean, there'll be a discussion, right? I can't see them not trying to find some form of value for Kemba. The one thing they really need from Kemba is to find some consistency and be an above-average point guard. They don't need him to be elite, but they do need him to be above-average, just so you can kind of bring that contract down to an equal value, you know, so it's not a net negative no more. Because at the moment, when you look at that Kemba Walker contract, it's legitimately a net negative. The money you're paying doesn't show up in the box score as consistently consistently as what you'd like. Um, if Kemba has a good showing in the playoffs, then I think they definitely explore possible trades for him. If he struggles the way he did last year, if he struggles for consistency, then I think that you see Kemba Walker start the season in Boston next year. And they look to try and get him going and get some form of value building back up, up to the trade deadline. I don't see them moving him for um, a salary dump purpose and giving up assets to get off from him. But I do see them exploring their options quite consistently. Gotcha. And um, I was thinking about this like yesterday, just after kind of all the trades had settled and was looking at everything and looking at some of the, some of the guys that Boston moved off of, you know, getting rid of Tice, getting rid of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, getting rid of Teague and some of the guys that they brought in. I really wonder if he'd have looked more and if Danny would have looked more into getting rid of um, maybe trading Shimmy, Shimmy just because he does, you know, he has his moments where he looks good. And I really don't know. I really think that might have had something to do with them, um, you know, with maybe them having a chance at Aaron Gordon and missing out just because that was another guy that they could have tried to do something, but there he sits hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shemmy's one of those guys that's the ultimate frustration guy, right? Like, you can't. You can't expect too much from this dude. Like he was a late, what was he, a second round pick? Um, he, he he was never a highly touted draft prospect. He's came in, he's worked hard. He had a few years where people saw him as a Giannis stopper because of his strength, but then Giannis obviously got stronger himself and added more skill to his game. So Shemir started working on being consistent from the corners, and he can be quite a lights out corner guy. But on other nights, he's absolutely awful. So I'm not sure what type of value there is around the league for a guy like Shemi. I think if there's a contending team that just wants a guy on the 10th man on the bench, somebody that can come in and possibly get hot in a moment and help you close out a tight game, then maybe a contending team look at him, but they wouldn't be willing to give up anything of value to acquire him, especially when his contract situation comes up for question again in the summer. So I don't think he would have played too much of a role in the Aaron Gordon deal, to be quite honest. But I do expect him to be one of the first names in buyout convers- uh, sorry, in conversations to waive him if they find somebody they feel suitable for a buyout op- option. So I don't think it will be DeMarcus Cousins. I would have liked LaMarcus Aldridge. I'm, my money's on Otto Porter at this point. Can you hear me, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you now. <laughs> my wife called. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I just... I just so you're right, though. He's, he has his moments where he looks so great, and then he leaves you. Yeah, I mean, the biggest improvement he's made this year is being willing to attack closeouts, right? Like, we've seen him actually, like, wait for guys to close out on him, put the board on the floor, and then make a, make a move, whether that be drive to the hoop and try and finish with an up and under, or he added the Euro step to his game this year. We, we've seen that infrequently. And then we've also seen him put the ball on the floor and redirect and kick back out. So we're seeing him add little facets to his game, but it's just not enough. And it's not at a high enough level for him to be considered a key piece in any contending team. And that hurts to say, because he's obviously better at basketball than what any of us will ever be, but I just don't see him at the necessary level. So I do expect him to either be moved or be released at the end of the contract. But I've been saying this for two years. So odds are we'll see him again next year. Sounds good, man. Thanks. Yeah. Who's up next? I think have I got any speaker requests? I've got Joseph. Joseph, you're still in the room. Let me have a look. Yes, you are. How you doing again, Joseph? Oh, I'm good. Um, I figured I'd fire off another question because everyone seems to be a little quiet. But <clears throat> so you're from the UK, and uh, you know you got you love basketball, and um, you know there's no conventional wisdom for why you would have chose uh, Boston as your favorite team. Um, would you like to share how you became a Boston sports fan or at least just the Celtics? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've answered, I get asked this quite a lot, so it's all right. I've got the story down pat by now. Um, I figured so, you 
so growing up like we did like i've never been a soccer guy you know like soccer is here is ubiquitous just like i imagine football to be in texas um it's never really been my thing i've never really been that guy to kind of fit in with the crowd and following it follow along and i just think that soccer brings out the worst in people i see it all day long and it might be the same with basketball but i'm so far removed i've never had those experiences you know um so growing up like we used to get one nba game a week on tv um, used to be the Chicago Bulls guaranteed and if the Bulls weren't on TV it was the Lakers or the Celtics and generally it would be those four got three teams maybe the Pacers I don't know why but the Pacers were quite popular and um because of Reggie Miller I'm guessing and it would be usually one of those four teams playing a really good team so you'd see Detroit sometimes and I used to watch every time it was on TV me and my mum would make sure we caught it because um, it was on at a reasonable hour and it was probably like three days old by the time we got to watch it and I remember watching the Celtics and they sucked so bad. Like this was during the Rick Pitino years. So they weren't good at all. And um, I was like, this is the team I want to follow. Like, I don't know why, but something about how bad they were at that point in time. Um, I, I knew nothing about their history. I didn't know about Larry Bird at this point. I'm still a young kid. Um, and then over the years, like more and more games started to get shown. And it was always the big market teams. New York came into it. Uh, Philadelphia were there during the Iverson years and as more and more games got shown I used to just navigate to when the Celtics were on predominantly and then the league pass became a thing and YouTube highlights and then you go down the rabbit hole of the, the history of the franchise and over time I just became like more and more enamored with them and now literally 90% of my days spent talking about them so uh, it's been gradual but then I kind of fell down this rabbit hole and just went deeper and deeper and deeper yeah, I mean, once you start being a fan, it uh, kind of just snowballs. Yeah, crazily. Like, um, I think pretty much every other T-shirt that I buy, so like one in two is a Celtics T-shirt. Same with hats. Um, play, if a player on the team has a shoe deal, then I'm buying those shoes. You know, I've, I've got too many pairs of Kyries to speak about from when Kyrie was here. Uh, I'm not throwing them away. They're expensive, so I'll wear them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, if JT comes out with some shoe deals, then um, I'm going to be having a a draw full of JTs as well. So I try and support them in multiple ways. Like um, I make sure that every game I watch is completely and utterly licensed and through the NBA, just because I feel like I can't support the team by having a season ticket or being in the stadium as much as I'd like. So I try and make sure that I get the merchandise and pay my dues that way. Yeah, cool, cool. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Do I have any speaker requests relatable to Kyrie's? Lucas, you're funny, man. Okay, anybody, everybody, send that speaker request. I will sit here. There we go. We've got Kai. How are you doing today? Oh, I spoke to you already. How are you doing, Kai? Hey, I'm doing well. I actually had um a question based on chat. So, um, point guard. <laughs> um, Kemba's out in a couple of years. Smart might get too expensive, and I don't really see anything. I don't really see any error appearance. Um, Peyton Pritchard's going to be really good, but I don't think he's going to be like starter level besides spot, spot minutes. Um, we've got, uh, the guy over in the Israeli league, um, who I think has a couple more years or he's trying to get bought out or something like that, but he's playing really well at the moment as well. Yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, besides those guys, are there any other folks? Cause I don't think Tremont's it. Um, I don't think Carson Edward is it when he's more of a shooting guard, but who is where else in the league could we be looking for young point guards that teams might not, that teams might want to move off of? Well, first of all, I was screaming for Kyra Lewis during the uh, draft build to the draft. Um, I mean, screaming. I was so heartbroken when he went one spot before Boston. And I followed what he's been doing in New Orleans. Like, I watched far too much New Orleans basketball because of Kyra and partially because of Zion, obviously. Um, I know a lot of people like Lanza. I've also been a fan of Lanza. My only knock on him at the moment with where he's at currently He's very much a perimeter playmaker, doesn't penetrate enough for me to really think that he fits into a Brad Stevens system. I agree with you about Pritchard. I don't think Pritchard's going to be more than a high-level bench guy. No disrespect to him. I just don't think he's going to be there. Uh, I'd love them to make a run for someone like SGA in a free agency. Offer him a max deal. I think he'd fit really well. Uh, Other than that, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of young guards that are amazing, but the ones you shout out, like me saying SGA, it's, it's great to say it, but it's almost impossible and it probably will never happen. Same as like you look at Ja Morant, he'd be a perfect fit on Boston, but you're never getting Ja Morant. 
or if you are, you're losing Jalen Brown plus three or four other guys. So there might be a guy that they, they get lucky on in the draft or they move some picks or move some players to try and move up in the draft to acquire that heir, heir apparent. But at the moment, that question for, that you've just asked, I just genuinely don't have an answer without saying some outlandish names. Yeah, my worry about drafting is that it takes it takes bigs and point guards a couple of years. It um, does, it does. And so if everyone's freaking out about, oh, Jalen and, and Jason are leaving now because of this season, when there's like three more years to go to worry about that, then they're not going to like having a rookie point guard <laughs> learning the ropes uh, with these guys. So This yeah, is the problem, right? I mean, if you look around the league, who, what point guards would be a viable option to acquire that would be good enough to take over from Kemba once Kemba leaves? Yeah, I think that's the, um, now that we seem to have uh, solved the big problems, at least for a little bit, this is the next sort of pressing thing. Um, we've got we've got wins to spare if any of them work out. It's just that point guard is really worrying in the next year or two. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I know a lot of teams are minimizing the, the drop-off at point guard by training guys up to be a point forward. It's one of the reasons you see Zion with the ball in his hands so much at the moment. It's, an, it's one of the reasons you see the Celtics really forcing Tatum and Brown into those playmaker roles. Because if your wings can create, then you don't need a creator as much on the point. And then you can ask them to just focus on penetrating and forcing rotations. I can see somebody's in in the chat. Someone's put Donovan Mitchell when Campbell expires. I agree with that. I just don't personally see Donovan Mitchell as a, as a lead guard. I see him as a league scoring guard, but not as the guy to bring the ball up and really start to penetrate. Um, I might be wrong. Some of you might view him more as a point guard. I definitely view him more as a two slash three. Well, two, not a three. I definitely see him as a two. You think pure points are overrated now in the NBA or is it not enough? I feel like every guard can score just about, but I need like someone who can distribute and can score when necessary, but not all the time. Yeah, so combo guards just became like the number one like desirable thing in the league like four or five years ago, right? Just before the wing... Um, explosion like wings have always been super valuable but there was a time where everybody wanted combo guards and then what you see is the knock-on effect is when guys are in college they're trained as combo guards because that's where the value is to them to be drafted and it looks good on the college for getting guys into the league and now we're at a point where there's so many guys that can do a little bit of everything and they're predominantly scorers that the art of playmaking at the league guard position is dying out a little bit. And that's why when you get a guy like Jar that penetrates and kicks out and everything's a bit of a throwback, it, it's super enjoyable to watch. But I do think that there's going to need to be some really smart moves from the front office to find a guy that will fit with these, this team because they don't need another scoring guard. That's part of the problem, right? They need somebody that's able to penetrate, that's able to playmake, and if, then be able to get their own shot off if the defense cuts off those passing lanes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we're not asking for much, man. We're not asking for much. <laughs> Feels like it sometimes, but you know, that's all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Lucas, my man, what's going on? Uh, not much. So hopefully this isn't too redundant, but this is, you know, kind of about Kemba. Um, so say, you know, Kemba does play well the rest of this year and in the playoffs, you know, they probably... Do you think they would still consider moving, I guess, is the first part of this question? And then secondly, if he plays poorly, do you think they will just trade him to trade him? Because it's not like his value will be too high and we'll get a return. So I'm just curious if you think like that. Um, and then like, you know, maybe drafting a point guard who's older and a little more ready um, from college or something is the move. Or I don't know, because I'm a little perplexed about what might happen with Kemba's Honestly, I genuinely believe that there's no way Kemba can play himself back into long-term um, plans on this team. I think that if Kemba plays like ridiculously well, all-star level, really drives that value up, you see him get moved. Um, I think that that would be a very Danny Ainge thing to do. It would also be very smart because you know that that is probably unsustainable for Kemba. So if he does enough during the playoffs and he really goes off and plays exceptional, and drives that value back into a positive for that contract, you see him get moved because you just don't know how much long, longer you're going to get that level of play. And it, like logic tells you it's not going to be for the rest of that contract. If he plays poorly, I think you see him stay because Danny Ainge just doesn't seem to be the type of guy that will take negative value on a deal. You might wait until he's got a year left and try and flip him to a team that needs to shed some salary in the upcoming offseason so that you'll get 
a little bit more value back on him. It just made no sense to move him at his lowest point because if they were going to do that, they could have done it this year. So I, I think that everyone's banking on Kemba showing out and that's why they're managing him so closely in these back-to-backs. And the one thing I will point out is when Kemba doesn't play, the Celtics really struggle, man. Like, it's only when he's been on the floor that we've seen real good ball movement and great penetration. Like, people are sleeping on Kemba a little bit. And if he can stay healthy and use the extra rest he's being afforded during the playoffs to make a deep, deep push, then he's going to see his value skyrocket and the Celtics could really reap the rewards of that. Yeah, that does seem like a Danny Edge move. And I I thank you for your objective perspective because I'm a UConn fan, so I grew up as a kid watching UConn. So it's hard for me to have an objective opinion when it comes to Kemba. I obviously want to see him thrive. Um, But, yeah, that's that's true. I hope he does play himself, you know, into a trade. And then I guess maybe what do you think a trade would look like? And also, don't you think it's ironic that we refuse to pay Isaiah Thomas and then shelled out 30-plus mil a year for for another small point guard? Yeah, I mean, it was a difference in levels of, like, pedigree, though, right? Like Isaiah Thomas came to this team as a journeyman and then made himself a cult hero. And he deserved better than what he got. But at the same time, if you can swap Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving, you do that deal 10 times out of 10 um, from a business standpoint. You go and get Kemba, you see it as Cardiac Kemba. He's a guy that's been the lead scorer for the Hornets for as long as you can remember. I don't know why I was about to call them the Bobcats, showing my age. Um, and then, you know, Kemba gets to come come to a team that he can kind of play second or third fiddle to with Jalen and Jason. And maybe you look at it as by not having the ball in his hands so much, there's less wear and tear on his body and you'll be able to manage him to the end of that deal and still get good production. Never worked like that. And it's just one of those deals that you had every good intention. It just didn't end up being exactly what you hoped it would be. That's life. Uh, In terms of deals and what type of deal would that look like? Honestly, uh, at this point would just be, throwing at darts at a dartboard because we don't know what value he's going to hold when you're going into those type of conversations. And that value directly affects what players you're having conversations about, who you're trying to acquire in return, and most importantly, what teams are interested. So until we see what level of performance he does and what level of value he goes into the offseason holding, uh, I think that it's kind of, it, it's pointless discussing what those deals would look like because we just genuinely don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and yeah, I totally like. I'm not trying to say like that we should have paid Isaiah Thomas or whatever. I just think it is ironic that you know one all small the talk- guard to another. What? What did you say? One small guard to another. Yeah, it's just as ironic how things turned out. But yeah, like you're saying, of course that business decision you needed to trade it for Kyrie. I will. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that as well. But all right, you know. That's that's all I got this time, so hopefully someone else <laughs> pop up. All right, thanks. Of guys. course, man, appreciate you. Thank you very much. Okay, so I've got no speaker requests. There's been games that's been played. If anyone wants to talk about games, there's guys that we haven't spoke about. There's some narrative that I cannot think of that maybe one of you guys can throw at me. No boogie cousins, whoever put that. No, no, no. Um, send that speaker request. I'm just going to start saying people's names until we until somebody hits that request button. How's it going, Kevin? So, how you feel about the Celtics losing Daniel Tice? Man, that hurt, right? I mean, the guy got, the guy gets traded the day after missing a game, losing a shot. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't deserve to go out like that. Uh, <laughs> that's the worst part yeah, about it. Didn't deserve to go out like that. But at the same time, like you knew that he it was a possibility that he got traded, or at least I knew, like I believed it was a possibility because he was playing himself into a bigger deal at the end of the year. And you just don't know whether Boston would have been willing to match or pay what he was worth on the open market. And his value was high. So I was okay with it. It just hurt. How did you feel? I feel like losing him because I'm a Heat fan, but I like the Celtics. But like, I I think it's kind of a blow, but I don't think it's like the end of the world. But I did think like he was an important piece to that team. You feel me? So, I mean, I think Robert Williams is solid. And the, the team is good still, but I just think Daniel Tice was a influential piece on what they were as a Heat fan how do you feel losing Olenek and Bradley to get Oladipo honestly like I, <laughs> because Oladipo to me is the guy that like uh, I just don't trust him to ever get back to the level he was that's me personally so how did you mm-hmm. feel about we'll see what me like 
if you watch this this season, I don't we don't really need Oladipo to get back to like that all star level. If he does, that's nice. But like really, we just need another playmaker outside of Jimmy Butler. You know what I'm saying? Like we need a guy that can one go get his own bucket and two like create for his teammates. And Oladipo gives us that. So if he does get back to that all star level, that's great. Shoot, that makes us a, a real like contender again. Even though I think we already were, but. Like with if if Oladipo's an All Star again, we can win the championship within the next like two to three years. But I just need him to be solid, like just be decent, be you know a cool player. And how how the Heat not contenders? But regardless though, like if Oladipo is straight, then we're gonna be good because he opens up everything else. Like our biggest problem was that we depended upon Jimmy Butler to be too much of a playmaker, and we don't need him to be a playmaker. We need him to be a, a scoring and bucket getter. So I'm not really worried about it. I think we honestly. Fleece the Rockets for what we got from them because Avery Bradley wasn't even playing for us. And, yeah, so it works out fine. But so I made are- a joke, and this was a joke, so um, don't get don't get triggered by this. It was a joke. But uh, I was like, yo, the Heat, um, the, the Rockets got the best player in that trade in the Linux. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of consistency. But uh, that was just, I was just joking around. I think that uh, Aladipo could be a really solid piece for you guys, but I also think he could be the guy to help everything fall apart just as quickly. Yeah, no, I, and I understand that. I just feel like with the coaching we have, the players we also got, like Ariza was big for us. Getting Bielitsa, I think, is going to be solid for us. That was a big pickup. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to be straight, honestly. Like, I, I love how we match up with Brooklyn. not saying that we're going to beat the Nets, but, like, I love how we match up with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we have the right players to throw at KD, Harden, and Kyrie. But, so, I'm not worried about us at all, to be honest. I think we're clearly the second best team in the East at, at full strength. That's bold, man. I've got Milwaukee up in second. I've got Miami in third. Though. So, you know, it's not as bold as what I'm thinking. Yeah. But no, that's fair. That's completely fair. It's just I haven't asked a Heat fan how they're feeling after that trade, so I thought I'd take the opportunity. Oh, no, for sure. And my thing with Milwaukee, though, is like, one, I don't trust their coach, and two, I don't trust Giannis. Like, Giannis hasn't proven to me anything when it comes to playoffs. Like, he doesn't he doesn't dominate like how he does in the regular season. That concerns me. So like, I love getting Drew Hardy. Drew Hardy to me, I think needs to be put more into their offense. Like I think he should be the point guard, but they don't even play him like that. They just, you know, kind of have him out there just, you know, freelancing and being like a shooting guard. But if you put them on his hands, like good things happen. Like he just hit a game winner for him like a couple months ago against Memphis. And I'm just like, offensively, Drew Hardy is probably your best player. Like offensively, when it comes to having a full complete package, and Giannis doesn't have that. Like, Giannis gets his, his buckets between bully ball, spin moves, and, like, Euro steps occasionally. But outside of that, Giannis doesn't really have a, a true package. So um, He's added I, that free ball to his game this year, though. Yeah, he, he shooting it a little bit better. But the thing that concerns me is, like, I still got to see it translate. Like, for me with Giannis, I, I got to see it to believe it. That's that's all it comes down to. Like, no, that's I, fair. I think he, he can get better. And I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I just – I just haven't seen it. You know what I'm saying? Like he he does look better this year. I'll give I'll give him that. But the playoffs are different, man. The playoffs are just different. The pressure rises. The defenses are more strict. So yeah, the I mean, we'll see. Yeah, so we'll see. But I mean, they are better than last year. I'll give them that. The, the Bucks are definitely better than last year. And like I said earlier, I still don't trust it. Yeah, but I say Budenholz is a great regular season coach, terrible playoff coach. And that's how it's always been. Going back to when he was with Atlanta. Exactly, yeah. This is just always crumbled in the playoffs. But I appreciate you, man. Thank you. I, I'm keen not to let this um, turn into like a full NBA show because it's for a Celtics podcast, but I completely appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you for letting me speak, man. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yo, Josh, my guy, man. What's going on? My man, Adam. How are we doing today? I'm living well, man. I'm living well. Yeah. I'm doing great. So I just got a question about these moves that we made. Um, the Murder Cornet. Uh, bringing in, you know, Momo and obviously uh, Fournier. Don't Google his last name. I and did that and it was a bad mistake. Yeah, bad mistake. I Don't Googled be- it and looked at the pictures. I was like, go! What is going on here? Sorry for yelling, but there's no other way to describe it other than that. It was terrible. But um, anyways, where do you think these moves put the Celtics moving forward uh, into the season? Do they, is uh, still a 4-5 or five seed at best? And then not only for for this season, but the future. Does 
How does that set them up? Obviously, we know Fournier is a free agent after next year on an expiring deal. And with the Celtics with Jason Tatum's contract kicking in, it's not like they're going to have all this open rosters, you know, roster space and cap money to be able to go use and sign players willy-nilly. But, you know, do you see if he does perform well, do you see them uh, trying to use his bird rights to resign him? Could he be part of a bigger deal? Um just what are your thoughts on the whole process? Yeah, so first things first, I genuinely believe that there's still a second round exit. I'm not bothered about seeding position now. Uh, I think that if you can try and fight for third or fourth, then you do it. But at the same time, you've struggled long enough now that you just be happy that you're getting into the playoffs and you try and at least try fight for some home court advantage. But it is what it is. I think Fournier is good enough to ensure you're a second round exit. I think that there's too many strong teams in the East at the top now. So when you... If you get Miami or you get Philly, I think Boston live a little bit rent-free in Philly's heads, but that's more of a, a fan take. So keeping myself away from that, I think that Philly could probably beat Boston in a seven-game series. Miami can probably beat Boston in a seven-game series. Milwaukee can. Brooklyn can. Brooklyn can. So when you look at it like that, then a second-round exit seems realistic to me. And I think that's a good expectation to have after the way the team struggled this year. I know it's not what people listening are going to want to hear, but... There's no point lying and saying this is a championship team and then everybody being like, you said it was a championship team. So I think it's a second round exit. Uh, if Fournier clicks with this team, then I think they look to keep him long term. Danny Ainge said as much during his um, press conference after the trade deadline there. He said that they do hope that Fournier sticks around. Generally, it's, it depends on the contract, right? Like how much are Boston willing to pay? What does Fournier feel he's worth? What do other teams want to come in and offer Fournier? Um, you made a point that I hadn't really touched on today or re- or at all, that if Fournier plays exceptionally well, maybe you swing him in a sign-and-trade deal and look to bring a player back rather than a TPE. Um, double sign-and-trade, like what, how you saw Kemba arrive in terms in trade for Rogier on that double sign-and-trade deal. So there's loads of possibilities. But right now, I genuinely don't know how much better Boston are long-term. They've definitely improved short-term. They've added a, a legit three-level 20-points-per-game scorer that can handle the rock, can defend a little bit. Long-term, the questions are still there, and they will be until we see what happens with his contact situation in the offseason. Yeah, and, and, you know, the the other guys, uh, Cornet and Mo, and, like, what are they? What are their contracts, and are they positional long-term value, or is it just kind of let's tread water right now while we still can? Um, and try to make it to the playoffs. Because the last thing you want to do is then miss the playoffs. And I don't think that's even an option right here. Um, you know, after being one game away from, you know, going to the finals for the third time in four years, uh, I, I think you need to maintain that level of play and get into the playoffs. But, like, the young guys, obviously we need to see what Romeo can do. Time Lord's taking a big step. Peyton Pritchard's been a fr- breath of fresh air when he's on the court. But a Grant Williams, a, a Naismith, like, what are these guys going to be able to do? Because I don't see them being able to go out and sign anybody. Yeah, sure, they still have, I think, what is it, $10 million on the trade exception, and Poirier's five, and I um, mean, Cantus five, and Poirier's two and a half. But what's that going to get you, you know, in, looking for the future in the offseason? I don't know if it's much. And I don't know how they build around this team. I don't have a clear vision on what they do to pair with the Jays. And, I mean, do you? Do you have an idea of what they can go out and do this offseason to dramatically improve this roster? Because from what it looks like is other than possibly re-signing Fournier or a potential sign-and-trade for him, or if Kemba just plays lights out and you can trade him for a bunch of stuff, like, uh, you know, a bunch of players or another superstar, like, what are they going to do? Like, I, I feel like we're, we're almost in that purgatory stage with the Jays, and it scares the heck out of me. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the first question you asked there was about Cornet and Wagner. I like how you called him Murder Cornet. I call him the Green Cornet um, because I saw that on Twitter today and thought it was hilarious. So we're keeping that. So um, I think both of those guys are unrestricted after this year. They're both on an expiring deals. Um, Mo Wagner did have a club option when he was with Chicago, but Chicago declined it, making him an unrestricted at the end of this year. So those guys can leave if they want, whether Boston choose to offer them some form of deal remains to be seen. And then you ask the biggest question, if Kemba plays great, then you have your clear way of making moves to improve the team. If he doesn't play great, well, now you need to hope that Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith play well enough to improve their value 
So you can start using some of these young guys that you drafted to try and make moves to shore up the bench. Because if Kemba doesn't go, then you have to rely on Kemba, Jalen, Jason, re-sign Fournier, have Rob Williams as your starting big, and now you need to shore up the bench. And the bench has been where the problems have been all year. So I'm not too concerned, but I do think there's a world where the Celtics are going to need to move on from at least one of Naismith or Romeo to bring back enough value and enough impactful players. And that's the most important part, guys that can come off the bench and impact games. The Celtics just don't have enough of those. Uh, So I think that's going to be where they start looking if they can't move on from Kemba. Last question, then I'll let someone else come up. So you you mentioned, you know, trading Kemba for, you know, players that can be used on the bench. But if you trade Kemba and, I mean, let's say Time Lord has taken enough, you know, steps forward that you you trust in him to be your starting center. That's still only really three spots nailed down. Um, Where do you where do the other starters come from? I mean, is it re-signing of Fournier? Is it trusting Smart to be a full-time starter when he's better as a six-man off the bench role? Like, where do you – like, that's that's why I'm saying, like, purgatory. Like, I don't see a clear out. Even if even if you can trade Kemba for, you know, solid bench pieces and rotational pieces, I just don't see a clear out of how they can get a starting lineup that can, A, match what the Milwaukee Bucks have or the Nets and even potentially, you know, the Miami Heat and Sixers. So – so if you look at their um, starting five, their projected starting five of Kemba, Fournier, Tatum, Brown, and Rob Williams, uh, I think that starting five has got enough firepower and enough defensive ability to hang with a lot of teams. For me, it's more where the bench is the issue. That's for, that's for me where the biggest issues are going to lie moving forward. I think your starting five, if you re-sign Fournier, it's set. And from there, you really need to shore up that bench because you're going to be relying on a Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford and then whoever else you pick up, right? Because outside of those three guys, who are we really trusting to come off the bench and make an impact? So that's where I want to see... If you re-sign Fournier, then I want to see moves happening on the bench. Do you trust Tristan Thompson? If you don't, move on from him, see what you can get back there, and try and bring in a few vet guys um, on vet minimums or a one- or two-year low-cost deal, and and just tweak the fringes, because if you keep Fournier and Kemba's playing okay you don't need him to be excellent when you've got three guys that can drop 20 in any given night you just need him to be above average and if he can do that then now all you need to do is fix your bench issues and you're going to be okay but what attracts what attracts veterans to come here over anywhere else any other destination it doesn't that's the problem right yeah it doesn't that's where you need to make that's where you make moves though right that's where you start looking at what value does Romeo have how many guys can can we make a move for a team that's rebuilding that's got somebody that can impact now by moving Romeo so they get their young piece and we get back an older guy that wants a chance at contending and then that's just putting it back into Ainge's hand which is always always uh always great you know when Ainge has young guys that he doesn't want to move on from or picks that he doesn't want to move on so, yeah, I guess that's uh, – it's going to be interesting to watch how everything plays out. And, Carter, I mean by purgatory like this, like a, a second-round a second round exit team, you know, like a team that's built for to, – to make it past the first round, you know, be a four, five, six seed, but that's it, and not reach the finals and not reach the con- conference finals unless they catch lighting in a bottle. To me, that's that's almost worse than being stuck in that log tour Lot of lottery purgatory because sometimes guys can slip out with a guy like Robert Williams or something like that. Where if you're stuck in that second round exit purgatory, you're always drafting towards the bottom of the draft, not being able to get good prospects, and it's just disappointment after disappointment because you don't have the talent around uh, your young superstars to be able to win a championship. But Adam, always a pleasure. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you coming, uh, coming, letting me come up here and pick your brain because you are full of knowledge. Guys, if you don't read his work, get on it now. I don't know what you're waiting for. One of the best writers at SB Nation, one of the best Celtics writers out there. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate you too. Thank you very much, man. And you have a good day, Josh. You too. I got enough time for one more person if anybody wants to jump up. No? Okay. I'll give you another... 30 seconds and then I'll call it quits. I know Keith's opening his room any minute now anyway. Okay, while I'm here, if any of you um, listen to the podcast, please make sure you leave that five-star written review. If you don't listen to the podcast, try that. Uh, we got Josh back. Yo. Gosh, hell, I'll come back up. Um, what do you think in a package that, you know, Kemba keeps it up? What do you think we're potentially looking at? Um, 
you know, are we looking at maybe a potential low grade starter and some bench players, or are we looking? I mean, at- the idea is you 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 want Kemba to be more than a negative contract. If you can get him to equal value, then you can like you know for what production versus cost, then you can start looking at somebody that could be a legitimate um, contributor, not an all star, but a, a solid contributor. I think that trying to conceptualize what Kemba's going to be worth in the offseason before we see how much this uh, not playing back-to-backs and being given like the, the kid gloves has worked. Um, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's the best course of action at the moment. I think we just need to let him play, uh, see how he performs during the playoffs, and then we can all start having the conversations about what packages could make sense. What, but just hypothetically, I, I, you're 100% correct. What guys out there that you've kind of taken a peek at and made, hey, maybe this could work, Mess around in the trade draft machine. Maybe this could work if you, you know. You, <laughs> Honestly, no one. That? No, I haven't. I'd, oh. I'd usually wait until we get closer to the off season to do that. Um, for me, at the moment, I'm just looking at the way the team are playing. I like breaking down like um, where things are going right, where things are going wrong, and I kind of take every game as a game by game basis, and then I use the off season for big picture stuff. And just commenting on what Trey said there down in the comments. Do you gauge the interest on Smart next year when he's got one year left on his deal? Yeah, you you one hundred percent. If you sign re-sign Fournier and you feel like you're not going to be keeping Marcus Smart past the end of the offseason, you definitely see what value he holds around the league and who would be interested in taking him with the idea of being able to entice him to stay. Marcus Smart's going to want to get paid. Uh, I don't think Boston are going to want to pay him what he wants to get paid and what other teams might come in and offer him. So you definitely start gauging what's around the league. So you don't think he comes back on another team-friendly deal? I don't see why he would. I mean, you, you only get one basketball career. It's a short career. The way he plays as well, throwing his body on the line every night, you, you risk more injuries than most. It only makes sense to try and cash in now while you're at your values at the highest because you're only going to get one or two options for big deals. And it's not like he's ever going to be a max guy. I, I just—if that was me personally, I just—I've took one team-friendly deal, so um, the next one I'm expecting to get paid. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. All right, I just, all right, dude. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. Thank you, everyone who's been in the crowd listening, and I'll catch you again later this week when I just do a normal show, and then I'll catch you again next Monday when I'm recording another one of these. Hope you, all, everyone, has a good day. <laughs>